everyone. Thanks so much for joining. Today we're going to talk about provider well-being and self-care imagination as a resource in crisis. And here's a little bit of an outline for our talk today. Uh, I've pulled this together just based on some of uh, the work that I've done in the past with an eye toward the present context and what sorts of uh, resources might make sense for us all to think about. And I'm really interested in your, your feedback about this at the end. We're gonna start as we usually do with a guided meditation. We found a meditation at the beginning of our trainings to be particularly useful at this time, just to center and ground us and feel at peace as we go uh, uh, through learning. And after I do that, I'm gonna give you an overview of what I'm calling here imaginative resources. And then we're actually going to listen to the Queen's speech from a week ago, Sunday. Uh, and I'll talk to you about that speech as well as a reflection exercise that emerges from it that uh, I think you might find interesting. And then I'll talk a bit about a therapeutic approach called Letters from the Future, interesting narrative exercise uh, uh, that's used in a, a variety of different therapeutic contexts and also could be something we could all try at this interesting time. So first of all, we'll start with a guided meditation. And this one is called The Forest. And I'm gonna invite you to turn off your video if you'd like, uh, move around and get into a comfortable position wherever it works best for you to take a few moments to breathe and meditate. So sit or lie down in a comfortable position and close your eyes. Take several slow, deep abdominal breaths. As you begin relaxing, you may be aware of a variety of physical sensations or thoughts. Acknowledge any thoughts without trying to get rid of them. You may imagine thoughts or concerns as puffs of smoke that rise into the air and eventually disappear. Just breathe. Now imagine that you're walking down a path into a lush forest. As you walk along the path, you completely take in the sights, sounds, smells, and feel of the place. All around you are trees, grasses, ground cover, and fragrant flowers. You hear the sounds of birds chirping and the wind as it gently blows through the treetops. You smell the dampness of the forest floor, the smells of rotting vegetation and new growth. Through gaps in the treetops, you see the sun high in a cloudless blue sky. The sun is dispersed through the canopy of the treetops and filters down onto the forest floor, creating patterns of light and shadow. With each breath you take in this place, you feel a deep sense of peace and relaxation. 
you soon come to a clearing. There are several flat rocks in the clearing surrounded by soft moss. A small stream runs among the rocks. You lie back on one of the rocks, feel the moss in your fingers and put your feet into the cool water. You feel the sun and a light breeze through your hair and across your skin. The clear water rushes around the rocks, making small eddies. You put your hand into the water and lift a handful to your lips. The water is cool. You close your eyes and listen to the water trickling through the rocks. You bathe in the sun and feel as though you are floating, relaxing deeper and deeper. You let yourself sink further into relaxation while continuing to be aware of the sights, smells, sounds, and feel of the forest around you. You allow yourself to let go of any concerns or worries and to feel completely refreshed and rejuvenated in this place. When you are ready, imagine that you slowly get up and leave the clearing. As you walk back down the path through the forest, take in this place and realize that you may return whenever you wish by the same path. Each time you enter this place, you will feel relaxed and at peace. And with that, I'll invite you to join us again, open your eyes, slowly allow yourself to come back to the present. So there are so many ways we know that imagination facilitates our inner mental life. These are just a few examples. Imagination fuels fantasy, a state of reverie, state of being pleasantly lost in one's thoughts, as reverie is defined. Of course, dreaming at night. Night dreaming is an important manifestation of imagination. Daydreaming as well. Uh, and there are ways that imagination facilitates what Bion called an unconscious state of receptivity. Facilitates a, a, a way where we can be present and available in relation to other people. I'm not going to say very much at all today about night dreaming, uh, but I think we can think of imagination as a resource for others also, for the people around us. And this is just one example of the way in which uh, that uh, ha has been uh, described. This is a picture of Plenty Coup. Plenty Coup was called the Chief of Chiefs, the last traditional chief of the Crow tribe picture was taken at the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, he's wearing an eagle feather headdress, carrying an American flag. Um, Plenty Coup, as a child, in the early to mid 19th century, had a series of dreams. And this was at the beginning of a, a series of decades that were quite challenging 
for his tribe. Uh, beginning of decade, very beginning of decades of displacement, deprivation, persecution, uh, relocation onto reservations, uh, betrayal by the U.S. government, various challenges. And uh, Plenty Coup at the age of 10 had a set of dreams that were understood to have been dreamt on behalf of his tribe, to tell stories about his tribe. They were interpreted by his tribe as collective stories. And in the dreams, he gave a, a, a foretelling of some of the challenges his tribe would experience, as well as hints of a possible future for his tribe. Uh, in, as dreams often do, fairly enigmatic, uh, challenging, uh, ambiguous imagery, but the dreams were understood to indicate there would be a future for his tribe beyond the coming devastations. And those dreams remain very important to the tribe up to the present. And this frame for Plenty Coup's dreaming is described really beautifully in this book called Radical Hope, Ethics in the Face of Cultural Devastation written by Jonathan Lear, who is a moral philosopher and anthropologist who called Plenty Coup's dream experience a form of imaginative excellence. Uh, Lear describes Plenty Coup's dreaming on behalf of his tribe as an act of radical courage and hope for his people. Uh, his dreams responded to the anxieties of his tribe, which at the time that he had his dreams were really, uh, really uh, inchoate, really unformed, not clear at the time what the challenges might be, but he responded to those anxieties. And he also, in response to an uncertain future, provided a vision for his tribe beyond the devastation. And Lear defines this as courageous, uh, that the dreaming was an act of courage, which, which he says is the capacity for living well with the risks that inevitably attend human existence. So I won't say much more about night dreaming, uh, but that description of Plenty Coup's dream is uh, a really wonderful place to start to note all the ways that we do rely on imagination uh, as an act of courage or a way to pull us forward into the future. And this is just a partial list of some of the therapeutic uses of imagination and different uh, treatment modalities. Uh, for instance, focus at, uh, focusing oriented dream work for trauma survivors, where the task is to reimagine a new ending for repetitive nightmares. Of course, dreams are critical to Jungian therapy and narrative therapy. And uh, acceptance and commitment theory, therapy includes a number of exercises that rely on imaginative approaches. So I'm gonna to touch today on this set of what I call imaginative resources. We've already done a guided meditation that involves some imagination. Uh, I've talked about Plenty Coup's night dreaming and next, I'm going to talk a bit about reflection as well as reverie, uh, say a bit about daydreaming, and I'll show you some narrative exercises that use imagination. But it's important to, to begin by noting that our culture often considers imagination to be less advanced than other forms of mental life or other forms of thinking. We're all aware of these ways of describing imagination as immature or regressive, that it moves us back to an earlier state of development. 
Uh, people who are seen to be quite imaginative are sometimes considered to be flighty or lazy or naive. Uh, lost in thought is a, a phrase we, we use frequently to indicate that someone's gone and lost. Uh, sometimes fantasy and imagination are dismissed uh, as just a, just a fantasy. Even the word fantasy itself is quite uh, loaded for this particular reason. And we certainly do think about the ways that fantasy can be dangerous. Um, I've seen some discussion of theta waves and depression. And if you have a depressive uh, uh, experience or uh, uh, a lot of anxiety, then you want to avoid relaxation because it causes too many theta waves. Um, I don't quite know what that means. Um, there's also worries about uh, uh, leaving ourselves ruminating, uh, or even dissociation as one of the dangerous concomitants of imagination. And I think fundamentally we've been trained in Western culture to see fantasy and imagination as hedonistic and driven by pleasure, uh, which we tend to consider to be uh, a little suspect. Uh, so even Freud uh, was quite clear about this in describing fantasies and dreams as dominated by a very transparent motive. There are, there are scenes and events in which the subject's egoistic needs of ambition and power or his erotic wishes find satisfaction. So these are just a few of the ways that we tend to discount or be suspect about imagination. And at the same time, we all celebrate imagination, particularly the products of imagination. And I don't know if uh, you all have noticed this wonderful uh, challenge by the Getty Museum, encouraging people who are staying at home to uh, uh, reproduce, replicate, mimic famous works of art. And these are just two examples that I, I happen to really like. Uh, oops, sorry, back. There you are, um, uh, especially the vacuum cleaner one, really close to my heart. Um, how lovely, right, to see an old painting and think, oh, I wonder what I have at home that I might be able to use to recreate this. Um, certainly, imitation is the greatest form of flattery, and I think this exercise is not only quite fun, but it indicates the degree to which we all uh, really uh, uh, feel connected to, uh, uh, to works of art. And in this context, it's important to note that contemplating works of art is one of the uh, kind of most well-known or frequently discussed forms of reverie. We actually use it often, contemplating works of art, works of art as in an educational way or as a, a form of appreciation. So this is a use of imagination that has been prioritized. And the Philadelphia Museum of Art has put together a small exercise intended largely for students who come to the museum um, that focuses on reverie. And uh, uh, this is their definition of re what reverie is about. State of letting something happen in a species of relaxation is one we need to cultivate when we look at paintings or buildings. A mode of introducing personal material into a picture or a building. It brings an abundance of thoughts and feelings into play. And the statement here that it operates at the root of thinking is very in keeping with uh, my emphasis today that the creative process is uh, part of the one by which we come to make thoughts for ourselves. So this is just in brief their exercise in reverie, finding meaning 
in art. Uh, these are their instructions. Uh, spend several minutes looking closely at the work of art. Consider what it reminds you of. Write about the emotion the painting reminds you of. Uh, give as much detail as you can. Describe a moment you felt that emotion. Next, write about a place the painting reminds you of. Describe what the place looks like. Write about a memory the painting reminds you of. Let your mind escape to that experience. And write about a person that the painting reminds you of. What is it that you see that reminds you of them? So this exercise really draws people quite deeply into the experience of reverie, tries to sustain it, uh, give it uh, contours around emotion, uh, place, people, uh, make it meaningful, personally meaningful for the viewer. So an interesting strategy, we can't unfortunately go to the museum and do this right now, uh, but it does chart out a mode of reverie that I think is still relevant for today. And with that overview, I'm going to bring us to the present and talk a bit about reflection as imaginative uh, activity and uh, give you a moment to listen to the Queen's speech and talk a little about that. One of the things she comments on in her speech is the mode of reflection as a resource right now. She says many people of all face and of none are discovering that self-isolation presents an opportunity to slow down, pause and reflect in prayer or meditation. So I'm gonna say a little more about what she does in this speech. I've called it Better Days Will Return and I'll say a little more about why that seems like a, a reasonable title for the speech. Um, and uh, three themes within the speech that you'll hear. She first marks the importance of the present moment. She acknowledges that all people are playing a unique role in the present moment. And she invokes a future that's built on past accomplishments. Uh, and we'll listen and then we'll come back to this list and think more about how she does this I'm speaking to you at what I know is an increasingly challenging time, a time of disruption in the life of our country, a disruption that has brought grief to some, financial difficulties to many, and enormous changes to the daily lives of us all. I want to thank everyone on the NHS frontline, as well as care workers and those carrying out essential roles who selflessly continue their day-to-day -day duties outside the home in support of us all. I'm sure the nation will join me in assuring you that what you do is appreciated and every hour of your hard work brings us closer to a return to more normal times. I also want to thank those of you who are staying at home, thereby helping to protect the vulnerable and sparing many families the pain already felt by those who have lost loved ones. Together we are tackling this disease, and I want to reassure you that if we remain united and resolute, then we will overcome it. I hope in the years to come, everyone will be able to take pride in how they responded to this challenge. And those who come after us 
will say the Britons of this generation were as strong as any, that the attributes of self-discipline, of quiet, good-humoured resolve, and of fellow feeling still characterise this country. The pride in who we are is not a part of our past. It defines our present and our future. The moments when the United Kingdom has come together to applaud its care and essential workers will be remembered as an expression of our national spirit. And its symbol will be the rainbows drawn by children. Across the Commonwealth and around the world, we have seen heartwarming stories of people coming together to help others, be it through delivering food parcels and medicines, checking on neighbours, or converting businesses to help the relief effort. And though self-isolating may at times be hard, many people of all faiths and of none are discovering that it presents an opportunity to slow down, pause and reflect in prayer or meditation. It reminds me of the very first broadcast I made in 1940, helped by my sister. We as children spoke from here at Windsor to children who had been evacuated from their homes and sent away for their own safety. Today, once again, many will feel a painful sense of separation from their loved ones. But now as then, we know deep down that it is the right thing to do. While we have faced challenges before, this one is different. This time we join with all nations across the globe in a common endeavour, using the great advances of science and our instinctive compassion to heal. We will succeed, and that success will belong to every one of us. We should take comfort that while we may have more still to endure, better days will return. We will be with our friends again, we will be with our families again. We will meet again. But for now, I send my thanks and warmest good wishes to you all. Okay, so one of the things she does here is say very clearly, this is a really important time right now. We're living through something we will remember for the rest of our lives. It is a time of disruption, but it's also historic. And she does it in a few ways, um, one of which is by recalling a previous time and her experience in 1940 when she made a, a similar kind of broadcast. And that was clearly a moment of crisis, a moment remembered to the day. So she's marking the importance of now. And of course, she acknowledged the importance of all of the, the roles that people are playing. Many of you on this call are playing very important, unique roles. Uh, in this time and uh, makes a point repeatedly that we're going to go back to what we know. Um, this frame of better days will return is a very funny conglomeration of the future and the present and the past. And she just sort of allows that to all become mushed together in this, uh, in this speech in many ways. We'll go back to what we know 
we'll be in a future where things are just like what we knew. Uh, right now, the present is a critical time. So she does this in a few ways, mashing time together. Hour, every hour of your hard work brings us closer to a return to more normal times. Um, and similarly, she talks frequently about a better future, but one that is always based on past accomplishments as well as the things we do right now in the present. So this is really the central phrase of her speech where she says, I hope in the years to come, everyone will be able to take pride in how they responded to this challenge. And those who come after us will say that the Britons of this generation were as strong as any, that the attributes of self-discipline, of quiet, good humored resolve and fellow feeling still characterize this country. The pride in who we are is not a part of our past. It defines our present and our future. The, the moments when the United Kingdom has come together to applaud its care and essential workers will be remembered as an expression of our national spirit. So this invocation of the future into the present, very common rhetorical device, and it's frequently uh, uh, used to allude back to Shakespeare's version of this, which is a speech many of us have heard from Henry V. Uh, his army is on the eve of the Battle of Agincourt, in which they were uh, vastly outnumbered by the French forces. And in Shakespeare's play, Henry V is able to rally the troops by doing kind of just what the queen did in her speech. Where is the king? The king himself is rode to view their battle. A fighting man. They have full threescore thousand. That's five to one. Besides, they are all fresh. It is a fearful odds. Oh, that we now had here. But one ten thousand of those men in England that do no work today. What's he that wishes so? My cousin Westmoreland? No, my fair cousin. If we are marked to die, we are enough to do our country loss. And if to live, the fewer men, the greater share of honor. God's will, I pray thee, wish not one man more. Brother, proclaim it, Westmoreland, through my host, that he which hath no stomach to this fight, let him depart. His passport shall be made, and grounds for convoy put into his purse. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. This day is called the Feast of Crispian. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand at tiptoe when this day is named, and rouse him at the name of Crispian. He that shall see this day and live old age will yearly, on the vigil, feast his neighbors and say, tomorrow is St. Crispin's. Then will he strip his sleeve and show his scars and say, these wounds I had on Crispin's day. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot, but he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. 
confidential our names, familiar in their mouths as household words. Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son, and Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world. But we in it shall be remembered. We few. We happy few. We band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England, now abed, shall think themselves accursed they were not here and hold their manhoods cheap whilst any speaks that thought with us upon St. Crispin's Day! So, essentially, the speech begins with some of Henry V's men noting how outnumbered they are, how, how they wish they had more troops, how they're a little bit nervous of the battle to come, and he says to them in a really very jovial and fun way, I wouldn't have one more person here with us. We are a band of brothers. That's a sort of famous phrase from this speech. We're a small band of brothers. Uh, but you know, when we get to the end of this day and in all the years to come, everyone's going to be jealous of us. They're going to know that we were the ones who were here today, that we are more uh, uh, accomplished, that we were able to take part in this important moment together. Uh, they're going to sing songs about us. They're going to tell their grandchildren about us. Everyone's going to wish they were here today, and I'm really glad it's just us. And he rallies all the troops with this story about how in the future down the road, this is going to be a day everyone will remember, and our role in this day is going to be celebrated. And that's really just what the Queen does. This is a time we will remember, we'll look back on it, we'll know what we did and did not do, and uh, we'll, we'll want to take note of that right now, to think of this as an important time in exactly that sense. Um, so, you know, this actually does set up a reflection exercise for all of us, uh, a thing that we can do in the course of our days as we make choices. It's not an easy time, but I think it is very fair to say that we'll all remember this time and we'll think back uh, on this time uh, to take note of what we did. And so we can take a little bit of time and think, how do I want to remember this? which are the moods and emotions that I, I want to look back and know were present at this time? What do I want to remember were the things that I did, uh, the, the activities I engaged in? What do I want to remember about how I engaged with the people around me at this historic time? And what do I want to remember about how I responded to the challenges and the opportunities that were in front of me? These really will be stories we will tell one another, we'll tell our children, we may tell our grandchildren what this time was like. What do you want that story to be like? That's part of the question here. How do you want others to carry you with them into the future? How do you want them to remember what you did at this time? And then I think there's also a great way this time, this disruption gives us an opportunity to think about what we want to keep and hold on to, 
and what we want to leave behind us as a result of this time. And those are not simple questions. They're not questions we can ask once and then we're done with them. But I think there are questions that uh, deserve some reflection and may uh, become a writing exercise for us. They may become a way to uh, orient ourselves in difficult moments. Uh, they may set some goals for us. We might decide there's something we want to create that we can keep and hold on to from this time. So we want to work on that over time. Uh, we may decide there are some things we want to leave behind and we need to do some mourning. We need to get used to the idea that we'll be done with them when this time is over. Um, these are just some suggested suggested questions uh, for this this time. And uh, you know, you you may come up with some additional questions you think you could reflect on when you look back from the future. And I think what I'll do at this point is pause and turn to David, see if we have any questions in the chat. Thanks, Beth. You know, I was thinking of a, of a question and I was thinking about the role of creativity and imagination. Are those synonymous or do they work together? What do you think about those two terms? For many people, um, creativity is a wonderful outlet. I think one of the things that can sometimes hamper us is certain people in our culture have been kind of designated as the creative ones. You need to have a skill or you need to have de devoted your life to a creative endeavor. Um, so it feels a little out of reach sometimes for all the rest of us. And it's really important, I think, to notice right now that that isn't how we should think about creativity. We all can create things. If you like to create things, if that is an outlet for you and you have it to hand, uh, it's wonderful to use it. And it entails a lot of imagination. Uh, of course, it entails a lot of other things too, skill, uh, uh, focus, uh, and, and those are all the kind of uh, additional resources and skills that can be very good for us right now, uh, a focus or a, an effort to, uh, to create something new. Uh, so I think uh, I, I like uh, the idea of creativity as, as just making sure it's a thing we all feel we have access to and can utilize. It isn't just for some people with certain kinds of skills. So what I will do with the next section is, is talk a little more explicitly about how we can use, how we can think about uh, imagination and these reflective activities as therapeutic. And, and it might be that you find opportunities to use them with your clients. Um, several people I noticed in the chat have mentioned that uh, art can be helpful for their clients and that's simply wonderful if we find a way to integrate art and creativity uh, into our therapeutic practices. So I'm just going to tell you about one creative exercise, exercise called Letters from the Future, which does really build on this uh, rhetorical device in the Queen's speech, um, but has some very interesting applications. Um, this is an exercise used in health promotion generally. Uh, it's been used, for instance, in creative writing groups for older patients with mild depressive symptoms. And this here on this slide is just a very, very brief uh, instruction for the letters from the future exercise. Imagine traveling to the future in a time machine and consequently write a letter to an audience in the present 
about the depicted future and the path that led to this future. This is an exercise used as a part of narrative therapy, uh, which entails the use of a variety of different writing exercises in a therapeutic context. And the, the, the sort of undergirding of narrative therapy is the idea that distress can be caused and maintained by oppressive stories we tell ourselves about ourselves or about the world or about others, about people in our past, about people in our future. Those stories... Uh, can be uh, a, a reason that our distress can be difficult to overcome. And the idea of narrative therapy is that therapeutic change can emerge from authoring alternative success-focused stories uh, that have alternate endings in which I'm empowered to do something different, in which, in which I can make a choice I didn't feel I was able to make at the time. And the idea is that uh, we feel more empowered when we can explore potential solutions in writing and we can think about what impact those choices might have on the future. Another thing that writing allows us to do sometimes is to externalize the problem, uh, to put it on the page and then also in our mind, separate ourselves from that problem. Uh, it gives us a sense we're able to fight something outside of ourselves rather than fighting ourselves. That's sort of fundamental idea of narrative therapy approaches. So uh, Letter from the Future is just one narrative therapy uh, exercise, and here's a more thorough description of it. And I've left this thorough description here, as well as a couple of other detailed descriptions of Letters from the Future, so that you can look back on this if you feel like you'd like to explore it therapeutically with your clients. Um, so this just goes into more detail about this same idea of a letter from the future. Um, Following hints give you an idea of what your letter from the future might look like. You'll notice all the language here is very much like this is just a suggestion. You may want to do it this way. Feel free to use these instructions as a basis for the, the writing the letter your own way. It's important this letter is yours and that you get to have ownership for it. It is not important that it's grammatically perfect. You don't have to write in sentences, just write anything that comes to your mind. So that kind of instruction, uh, an empowering one really, is really critical, uh, very fundamental to this kind of approach uh, in narrative therapy. So again, um, where and when, what, to whom, the instructions here, it's not only a letter written backward from a desired future to the present, desire, the uh, uh, desired future situation as if it's already realized, use your full imagination. But there are these prompts then, and the idea is to sustain that vision of a desired future over a period of time and give us all the details about it. Where are you uh, exactly? Describe the location very vividly. Uh, how far into the future did you go? Um, is it just a, a week or an hour or centuries? Where did you go exactly? Tell us ex a lot about what it's like there. Um, imagine that it's become true and, and tell us what you've accomplished there. What, what's the story of a specific incident that you can tell us about in that future and how you dealt with us, what, what dealt with it. What, what is your full desired future? Um, describe how you got there. What were the particular steps that got you there? And, and then importantly, um, you can write this letter from the future to yourself. You can write it to someone else if you'd like. 
Uh, and they really say, this doesn't need to be a long letter, just spend 20 minutes, uh, you know, maybe 400 words, doesn't need to be long, but allow yourself to get immersed in that image of the future. Why don't I stop there and see if we have questions about this particular exercise. I'll show you a couple of others. Yeah, Beth, so far we don't have any questions, but we definitely have some comments. And, and Javier brings up a really great point about just uh, being sensitive about the future and what people have experienced and, and how this, this experience for some can be really, really difficult. They may have experienced a lot of loss, um, loss of family members, loss of jobs, um, all of those other things. So, um, you know, Javier brings up a really good point of just, just remember that, um, yeah, that we have to be sensitive to, to all of the different uh, challenges that people may or may not have been experiencing. And that imagining the future right now may feel very scary. Uh, what might come up first are uh, really awful ideas about what comes next or how things will feel like here. I think that's very, very true. Um, you know, it's part of the reason this is intended to be an imaginative exercise. It's part of the reason you really want to be sure the client you're working with is ready to do an exercise like this, that they feel capable of making gains, for instance, and that they can find an optimistic version of the future. You know, even if they say, it's never going to be like this, I can't, I'm never going to be able to live in this kind of desired future, they don't really believe in it. But if they can envision it, that is a first step. Um, so, you know, one way to manage that is to acknowledge for clients that maybe the more dismal pictures of the future feel more available or more likely right now. But is it possible at all to imagine a more desired future or even just yourself on the other side of this? Do you, do you have any idea of what that might be if you're on the other side of it? I'm going to give you, uh, in the next slides, just a couple of other examples that I think are going to get to this point, the very good point that Javier makes um, in, a, in another way. So here's the older, wiser self letter. Imagine that you've grown to be an older, healthy, and wise woman. And this is in particular a letter used for women uh, who are survivors of sexual abuse. You're looking back on this period of life what do you think that this wonderful, older, wiser you would suggest to help you get through this current phase of your life? What would she tell you to remember as you move ahead? What would she suggest that would be most helpful? So I think even if a person is not quite able to grasp a perfect desired future for themselves, they may be able to imagine themselves a little bit older, a little bit wiser, and they may still have some advice for themselves in the present. And here's the second option, uh, gets right to the heart of what has been mentioned in our comments, called a, a letter to a friend. Uh, so the idea here is that you, you place yourself at the end of a decade of your own recovery. You've really made so many gains and changes in your life, uh, particularly to overcome trauma, to understand its impact on your life. And then you get a letter from a close friend and she wants to disclose to you what she's been dealing with. And she's ready to acknowledge a reality that has some similarities to what you went through. 
and you feel very close to this person. In fact, she was someone who was helpful to you at, at the, the time of, of your own trauma and challenges, and she really trusts you. So she wants to know from you, what did you discover and learn in your healing journey? She wants your wisdom, encouragement, and direction uh, at, at this important time. And let, write what you'd be, be able to share with your friend. That's this exercise here. Again, an interesting way to project yourself into the future and imagine what's important to write down and document. You can imagine how powerful that might be for people to have to make that concrete on paper. Any questions or thoughts about this before I move on? Yeah, um, we have a few comments just talking about how the thinking about the future can definitely contribute to, to some of the anxiety. Um, Nick talks about how, uh, you know, how that anxiety may look because it can include fear or potential loss and, and those with compromised immune systems. So, so really just talking about that anxiety that, that may come up. And then, uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing uh, her name right, and I apologize if I'm not, but uh, uh, Moria or, uh, is talking about how um, just the increased isolation can be really challenging for some of the, the people that we serve. Um, just kind of acknowledging that. So thinking about activities such as the ones that you're presenting can be really helpful in these times. Mm. Yeah, the other thing I would add to that is to, 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 to notice, we've, we've looked at this a little bit rhetorically, the way the present and the future and the past can all get melded together. And what that can mean is that sometimes thinking about the future is sort of the same thing as thinking about the past, thinking about past challenges, past obstacles and hurdles that we've been able to overcome. You know, you can use those memories of past successes and victories as really just an analog for the future. If you, if you don't have to think of a concrete future as you think it might be, you can look back to things you know you've come through initially to provide a template for some of this work. I think that's an, a very important adjunct here. Sometimes you might want to have a letter from the past. <laughs> you might want to think back at a time that was where you really felt strong and, and able to, to, to work through a challenge. And there can be, you know, a power, a powerfulness in, in bringing that into the present challenge if the future see, feels too, uh, too fraught right now. So this is just a summary, uh, and it really poses a question for you because as some people have commented, thinking about the future right now may not feel that great, and it might be better to focus on some other things or to find some other ways to allow for some uh, uh, reflection uh, that doesn't involve having to project ourselves into a future that feels very uncertain. Um, so this is just a list of some of the things we've gone through already. We started with returning to the forest, an image and a place that you could know you could return to in your mind where you could find peace and relaxation. Uh, we talked about looking back from the future, uh, just simply having an idea of how you want to remember yourself in this moment uh, down the road. Uh, cultivated reverie, meaning you work at it. You spend some time allowing 
the mind to flow uh, uh, in response, for instance, to a work of art and, and flesh out some of the feelings, memories, thoughts, associations that come with that. Um, there's also a practice of deliberate daydreaming where you just set aside time where you can dream about things that happen to be on your mind uh, and allow that uh, to sustain some emotion that allows you to feel an escape uh, or a sense of peace. Um, if you are not used to or find that you don't tend to remember your dreams, uh, there are lots of tips and tools you can find online about how to remember your dreams. Uh, some people find this very uh, interesting. Uh, you can actually train yourself pretty well to get a lot better at it. Uh, again, this is not uh, uh, nightmares. These are not traumatic dreams that I'm talking about here. These are normal, uh, sometimes particularly vivid dreams that we would, we would have on, on, a, on a regular night. Uh, for some people, that can be a wonderful resource. We've talked about some of the narrative exercises that can be uh, helpful uh, for clients as well as provide us with some ideas about what to do with our own thoughts now. And uh, as, as David mentioned, as our commenters mentioned, there's always creativity. Uh, there's always poetry we can write. Uh, you can listen to Shakespeare. Uh, there are things we can make. Those forms of imagination can be wonderful resources. And I think it would be useful for us to go through this list and find that, nope, nope, I don't like that one. That's not going to work. Oh, that one looks like it could be okay. Uh, these are all experiments with ourselves to find out which sort of imaginative activities feel good and refreshing for you right now. And with that, I just wanted to end with a photograph that I find very uh, uh, evocative, very useful for encouraging uh, reverie. Uh, this is a photo from 1922 from the Harlem Renaissance of a, a, a quite a prominent photographer at the time, woman in his studio, uh, beautiful portrait uh, with a rather interesting, I'll say, facial expression. She's, she's got some thoughts and uh, I'm really curious about them. It's one of those photographs that you can sit with for quite some time and uh, allow yourself to generate some uh, new ideas any final questions or thoughts for the group? Yeah, so Beth Lisa has a really great uh, comment and, and she shares that she really likes the idea of future self-giving, uh, current self-direction, guidance and support. And she you know, talks about how it's like uh, having a relationship with self, but one that you can choose how you want that to look and, and what it what it is like. Um, so she shared that with everybody. And, and I was just thinking about like of these ideas, which ones I can uh, I can experiment with and try in the short term. And I, I love the slide about reverie and and kind of a, a structure almost for looking at pieces of art. I absolutely am going to I'm going to try that. I think that is such a neat way to uh, view art a little bit differently. Mm. Yeah, really nice idea. 
And I'll just say finally, thank you very much for joining us. It's really a pleasure to see all of you and to talk about uh, some of these challenging and important issues right now.